What's up, everyone, and welcome back to this week's episode of Outside the Arena with Mac and Griff. I'm Griffin Senek, joined by my co-host, Mac Rommel, and today we have a very special guest, a graduate from Dickinson College. He's called minor league baseball games, G League games for the Delaware Bluecoats, and is currently the lead announcer for George Washington men's and women's basketball, as well as the play-by-play radio announcer for the Baltimore Orioles, the amazing Jeff Arnold. Well, that's quite an introduction. I don't know if I'm amazing, but still, thanks all the same for the, the confidence boost. Yep. So I guess we'll jump right into the interview part of this. So my first question to you would be, so everyone, of course, when you're a broadcaster, I feel a lot of people start to get that at a young age. They kind of figure out that they want to be that. So my question to you would be is, what age were did you kind of realize you want to be a broadcaster and why was that? Well, it's a great point, and I do agree with you. I feel like a lot of people that are broadcasters realize that they want to do it from the time that they are five or six, or they go to broadcasting camps or whatever. But I didn't realize I wanted to do it till I was in college, and I was working at a, a student radio station, a WDCV at Dickinson, and I didn't even know that we had sports broadcasting until a friend of mine told me about it. And then I decided to give it a shot and I realized that I wasn't great at it when I got started, which typically, you know, if when you guys do do games, you know, you'll probably have some moments where you're like, man, this is going really, really fast. And I don't know if I can do this, but that's kind of what everybody who does this feels like the first uh, couple of times or first year, however long until they get their rhythm and their feet under them and everything. But uh, I realized in college, that's what I, what I wanted to do. I, I had a, a guy that I was working with named Brett Hollander, who now is a part of the Orioles broadcast team too. Brett was a senior when I was a freshman and he was the sports broadcasting superstar of our group. And my goal was to try and be as good as he was or somewhere close to as good as he was by the time I was a senior. Little did I know that Brett was uh, very talented and and uniquely talented. And that uh, I think by the time I got out of college, he was doing pregame and postgame for the Orioles. So that was maybe my indicator that this guy was actually really good the whole time. But um, it was still like a good kind of measuring stick and, you know, point where I wanted to reach. And um, that's when I found out for the first time. And I did everything from doing play by play and color. And I did every sport from football, a lot of basketball, a little bit of baseball lacrosse I did a volleyball game at one point when our team went to the centennial conference tournament I pray that no tape of that exists anywhere because it could very well ruin a career but um no I I had so many experiences I did a talk show with a good friend of mine who's still a friend of mine and uh just a little bit of everything and and just the fact that I went to a liberal arts school and a lot of people want to go to a Syracuse or a Northwestern or something like that but what I found was that by being at a division three school I was doing something that not a whole lot of people wanted to do. And so it meant I got a lot of reps, which is a major part of doing this. And for that reason, I was in a, at least I think a decent spot by the time that I graduated in 2010. You talked about, you know, doing all these various sports throughout college, obviously, like you said, what do you think the key is to being able to be so versatile and be able to broadcast any sport on any given day? Well, it's a, it's a great question. And when you know how to do multiple sports, it makes you employable to lots of different people. If you can only do basketball, that's fine. But basketball is only for a certain time out of the year. If you can do football, that's great. But football is only for a certain part out of the year. If you can do baseball and softball and volleyball and lacrosse and 
tennis or, or any of these other different sports, you make yourself a lot more marketable. And same thing is true if you can do a lot of roles, if you can be a play-by-play person, if you can be a color guide, a, a sideline reporter, if you can do pregame and postgame, if you can do radio and television and digital, if you can do podcasts, if you can do all kinds of different things, then you're really a, a super marketable person. I mean, the, the Orioles, they really like to find people that are content creators and who can do things across various platforms that aren't limited to doing just one thing. And that's really important these days. So if you're, if you're coming up and you have an opportunity to do a soccer game as a play-by-play person, you really don't know a whole lot out of, about soccer. Well, guess what? I was at a point where I didn't really know a whole lot about soccer. I did a GW men's soccer match against George Mason probably four or five years ago. And I think I'd called one soccer match in my entire life. And so what it meant was looking up the rules of soccer and talking to people. Fortunately, I worked with somebody who was a soccer coach at a college and they spent 45 minutes to an hour with me, just going over tactics and formations and all these different kinds of things. And it also teaches you to know what you know and know what you don't. And that's a really important thing when you're broadcasting live events, there are going to be sometimes you just don't know. And, uh, rather than expose yourself as to, well, I don't really, this guy doesn't really know the sport very well. It just is your reminder that, you know, know what your limitations are as a broadcaster. And that's, I think, what really good broadcasters can do is they, they know what they're really good at and they know where their limitations are. And that allows them to, to excel. But yeah, if you can do a lot of sports, it also makes you better at the sports that you want to do, your primary sports that you do really well. And it, it's, it's great experience. And, and you might even find that you like doing one of those uh, sports that, that you don't know a whole lot about, and then you want other opportunities to do it. So it works in a whole lot of ways to your advantage. If you can, you can do a bunch of sports and you can uh, work across a bunch of different platforms. So I guess continuing down that path of kind of being versatile with the sports you do something I've heard um, actually at the Bruce Beck uh, sports broadcasting camp was getting familiar with sports uh, that maybe you're uncomfortable with. And as you said, soccer, mm-hmm. was not that for you. So in the areas you didn't know when you were calling the game, what was that like figuring that out and trying to make the game go smoothly in those areas? Well, I think you kind of just go back to being good mechanically. Like if, if I'm doing a soccer match you know, sort of just realize like, you know, I'm doing this. It was a, it was on the A10 network. So it's just let your analysts do more work. You know, either that's what you're supposed to be doing anyways, when you're doing a television broadcast or television style broadcast is you want your analysts to do their thing. And so it's asking more questions. It's sharing pieces of your prep. It's going through trends and talking about different kinds of things. And sometimes it's okay to just be quiet. Like if you're, if you're doing a, a soccer match, just like you're doing a baseball game, you know, sometimes you don't, you don't need to talk the whole time. Sometimes it's okay to let it breathe and to lay out. And, you know, you don't, it's not like you're doing a talk show. You can take a breath every once in a while. And now, like I said, it's, it's really just knowing what you know and knowing what you don't. And sometimes I think people who, who are the parents of athletes that maybe watch those matches, they're just happy that there's somebody doing them. There's happy that there's somebody that can, they'll call out their kid's name every once in a while that, you know, they, they might be the first, goal that they ever have scored and maybe it's a game winning goal or something like that or maybe it's something from senior day and they have a big big game like those are the kinds of memories that parents and family members and friends they cherish forever and just them having 
that and maybe your voice behind it, that's really cool for them. So um, I, I think it's just, it's, it's just being realistic with what it is that you're doing and um, knowing that maybe some of these sports are not going to be the ones that you're doing all the time. But if you, if you're willing to put the work in, it, it's also going to make when you do some of the other ones, it, it's going to feel a little bit easier because you've already worked on sports and done sports that maybe you just don't have a whole lot of experience with. Going, you know, obviously um, you talk about your versatility in college, out of college. Now, what would you consider to be your first kind of real breakthrough in the media or sports broadcasting industry? I don't know. It's a good question. I mean, I think I had a lot of little moments. The biggest one would be getting the Orioles opportunity. And when you get a major league job, it's really special. And having a chance to do radio and then also getting to do about 10 games this year on Masson was a, was a lot of fun and working with great people. And so I I feel like kind of like there was a lot of like, you know, small like moments where you're just like, okay, this is, this is getting better. And this is, this is going well and, and things like that. But the big breakthrough has been getting the Orioles job and I'm, I'm really blessed that I have it. We, it was a fun year to do. It was a very weird year. And I think that all my counterparts with other teams would certainly say the same thing. But uh, the fact is that it was a, it was a great experience and we got to do baseball this year when uh, the minor leagues, for instance, didn't have any baseball games to be played. And, um, you know, I got to be at the ballpark when in, in a year where not a whole lot of people got to, to go see a baseball game every day, I got the, the chance to do that, which was, which was really cool. That's great. And so obviously to get where you are today, it takes all those little steps. And one of those steps was with the Rough Riders. And something interesting that I saw about you was you had a lot that you were working on when you were with them with a lot of different tasks, tasks such as assisting a production of game notes, producing team releases, and a, a mm-hmm. whole lot of other things. So my question to you would be, how are you able to manage all, all of that at once? Yeah, I did that every place that I was in the minor leagues with uh, when I was in Frisco, when I was in Wilmington, and I was in Frederick. Frederick, I did the most because I was, was on our marketing team, and so it helped plan events, and I worked there full time. And so there was a whole batch of different items and responsibilities that I had when I was there and in Wilmington, too. Uh, for Frisco was a little easier, but, but yeah, it, it's time management, and it's understanding when you, you get into to the office that you got to plan out your day. And I would have a, you know, a list and I might put it on a notepad or post-it notes or whatever. And, you know, one thing that you can do when you have a really busy day is you just segment your time and saying from nine to 10, we're going to do this from 10 to 11. I'm going to do this from 11 to 12. I'm going to do this. And if you kind of break your day down along those lines, then you figure out a way to complete all your tasks and also probably have a little bit of time left over to prepare for your broadcast too. But there's some days when you're in the minor leagues where you just, you finish up everything and the game starts at seven and maybe it's six fifteen or six thirty, and the pregame show starts at six 45 and it's going to start regardless of if you're, you're ready to go or not. And that's maybe when you need to draw on some of the, the knowledge that you glean from talking to people when you're on your last road trip. When I was on the road, I got a lot more time to do things that I wanted to do and prepare for broadcast and truthfully prepare for future broadcasts, and especially ones that were at home when maybe our days were a little bit busier. But the one thing that helped too was that I wrote the game notes every day. And that that's what a lot of minor league broadcasters do. And by writing the notes, then you're kind of doing your preparation. So that's giving you some things to work off of. And then you can reference interviews and things like that, that you've done in the past. We would interview players and coaches and 
coordinators and sometimes execs every single day when we were, when I was in the minor leagues. And so that made a big difference too, because the knowledge would build itself up over time. And, and then you'd go on the road and you'd spend some time with people and get to know them a little bit more. And, and those were all valuable experiences and the, the helping you do broadcasts, especially on the days where uh, you had a million things that were non-broadcast related and you just, you, you would pop the headset on and, and you were pretty much just getting ready and going and you were sometimes wondering how you'd, how you'd be able to do it. But uh, I did that tons as, as did a lot of my, um, a lot of my other colleagues are in the major leagues now. And so uh, we kind of understand what it takes to, to do a, do a broadcast when you're not anywhere near as prepared as you want to be. Was there ever a time during your, you know, stretch broadcasting games in the minor leagues where you kind of felt like, you felt like maybe giving up on your journey as a broadcaster. Do you felt like you weren't making, you know, the progress that you wanted to in this industry? Was there ever a time that you can remember or a stretch where you felt like that? Yeah, probably about two years ago, I, I thought about getting out of the industry and just doing something else or doing something that was maybe career adjacent to what I was doing. You know, I, I, I'd, I'd kind of had a bunch of things snowball and I was putting a little too much pressure on myself and, going a little bit too hard and sort of having these demands for myself, which was really not a, a good way to go about it. And I was pressing a lot. And then, um, and then, you know, kind of hit the reset button when I got to the fall and, and things sort of gradually got better than that. But it took an experience where I, I interviewed for a, a job that was, you know, in sports and doing something similar to what I was doing, but not the same thing that got me realizing I'm not ready to, to give this up yet. And I'm really glad that I did, but most people that do this job have those moments where they're ready to give up and they're ready to quit. And for those that say they haven't, they're either lying or they're uh, extraordinarily lucky. I haven't really met anybody that has not had the thought of at one point or another of, of giving it up. And that's the thing that keeps us going. And it's the thing that when we reach, you know, a major league job or another big career milestone, be it, working for a network or something else. And some minor league broadcasters have the goal of, you know, going from there to networks. And I know some people that have done that too, that when, when you finally get there, then it makes you, makes it feel even more gratif gratifying because you, you push past the moments that were tough. You persevered, you got through it and, and you got there. Mm -hmm. So my question now would be is, if you didn't go through those experiences or those moments of doubt, do you think you would be the same broadcaster today or even the same person uh, as before that, or if it never even happened? Awesome question. Absolutely not. No, I, I, I reached out to somebody who, and, and I won't go into like the full details of it, but I, I reached out to somebody and they, they had a few things that were, they were complimentary, but they had some things being like, Hey, you need to work on this, 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 and this. And I think a lot of, I think a lot of people that are younger, like I, I hear from kids in college that, that are, you know, kind of entitled and they feel like they should get everything right here, right now. And, and I hear a million excuses as to why it's just like, well, this is just millennials being millennials or any of this other stuff. And I'm like, no, that's not how this works. That's not how this works. I didn't, I didn't grow up with it working that way. And there's just a million excuses getting made by people all the time. And I get sick and tired of hearing about it. So that's my rant. I'm, I'm done with that. But um, the fact is, like, I, I had two choices. I could have either, you know, been pissed off that they said some stuff to me that I didn't really like. Or I could have taken their points and their 
critiques and I could have tried to apply it and make it better. And that's the approach that I took. And when I went back and I listened to what they were talking about, they were right. And it made me focus on certain things to do better when I had my broadcast. And just like I have, I think it's really important to build a network of people around you that will, that are experienced people that have achieved a high level of success. You know, I have people that I talk to that are um, probably my age that are kind of at the level I'm at right now. I have people that are a little bit ahead of me. I have people that are a lot ahead of me. And then I have some people that are a little bit younger than me. And the, the thing that's good, and, and I also have people that are, you know, play-by-play people, execs, all, all different kinds of folks that can listen and help out and provide critiques and criticism and give you different things. And that's why it's good to have a lot of different people in your network that can help you do that. And we can talk about building one of those later if you want. But it's really important that you're taking those, those things and making yourself a better broadcaster. A lot of what I've been doing since I've gotten home from um, or back in Pennsylvania, I, I've been in Pennsylvania for a lot of this with, with everything going on this year um, with, with COVID-19 and hopefully next year I'm, I'm back in Baltimore full time. But a lot of what I do is I, I review my games on Masson and I listen back to my games on the Orioles radio network and I make notes of the games and I go through them and I know what I want to work on and I know what I want to fix and then I talk to different people about them and I have different thoughts and different things. And, you know, sometimes I pick out different innings and I have a person that I listen to my stuff with and we go through it. Um, we would go through stuff on off days and I'd be like, Hey, I have this inning here. This happened, this happened, this happened, this happened. I want to make sure that I handled it the right way. And e- even doing what I'm doing right now, it's a constant process of just trying to improve and get better. Because there's always stuff that you can learn about doing this, no matter how young you are, how old you are. And so, I mean, doctors practice medicine, lawyers practice law, and broadcasters practice broadcasting. And I think that's something that everybody needs to keep in mind is that just because you reach a certain spot doesn't mean you can let off the gas pedal. You're still responsible for your own you know, preparation and critique work and making sure that you're getting better. And while People make up excuses all the time of why they're not or why someone else is wrong about what it is that they're saying. Um, The fact is that your development always starts and ends with you. And it's on everybody to do their own work and to improve and and get better and and realize that this is really hard. And uh, there are a lot of people out there that want to do this, but the ones that stick with it and are constantly striving to improve and asking for help and you know, those are the ones that, that find a way to make it. I think that's some great advice to any young broadcasters listening. And I think, you know, for even me and Mac, I think that's something that we really, really appreciate hearing and are definitely going to uh, take into our own accounts for sure. Yeah. And don't get frustrated too. Like the, the, the thing that I, I, I see from so many college age kids and just being in the minor leagues for the time that I was, we'd have these kids that would come in that were assistants Um, And they would be just kids straight out of college or at the end of their college careers. And just the, some of the expectations that they had were just not realistic expectations. And there are a lot of those out there. And it's just because you don't get an opportunity now doesn't mean that, you know, things aren't great. It just means that it takes some time to figure this kind of stuff out. And the, the, the sense of entitlement is just, that's the biggest problem. And that's what holds people back the most. And, you know, when I, when I hear about it from people, it's just like, you know, 
this takes time to figure out and this takes a lot of work to figure out and a lot of sacrifice. Like I, I, I've worked on holidays, nights, weekends. I've used vacation days to do games. I, I can't, and I've done every single sport. I've traversed from Maryland to Pittsburgh to Winston-Salem back to Maryland to do games over like a three-day stretch. Like this takes a lot of time and it's like you have to want it. And because if you don't, somebody else does. And that, that's just the thing that, that I, I pass on everybody. So you got to have a passion for it. And if you're not willing to make the sacrifices and if you're not willing to put in the work, you, know, you might be a really talented person, but you know, it's not all about ability. I think a lot of it is who is willing to stick it out the longest and who's willing to put in the most amount of work. And for me, I was always going to stick with it until I got to where I wanted to go. Unfortunately, you know, it ended up working out, but um, there were times where it was like, you know, there's some times where you just, you, it's like, I don't want to get up today and do this. You know, I don't want to get up at three o'clock in the morning and, you know, go host morning edition on, on this station. Like, I don't, I don't feel like doing it. I don't want to drive two hours after I do one football game on TV to go to another, you know, division two football game on, on TV. I don't, I don't feel like traversing a state to do that, but it's like, you do what you have to do to be able to, not only get better, but support yourself and to put yourself in the best opportunity to hopefully one day uh, get a chance to do something that you really want to do. Yep. That's great. So I guess to piggyback off of kind of what you said once again um, and how a lot you spoke on how a lot of people were helping you, giving you advice and you were able to Mm -hmm. take that into account. Have there been situations where you're the one giving advice to some of these young guys and telling them Mm -hmm. what to improve on and how to fix it? Yeah, quite a bit. And my style is I'm pretty honest about it and I'm, I'm pretty straightforward and direct. And that's, that's my way of saying I care. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I don't think that if I'm telling you everything you're doing great, I'm not really helping you. Yeah. Um, and just like, if, if I'm telling you it's all awesome, then I'm probably lying. Cause even like I have a friend who's at ESPN and that some of the stuff he's, he's gotten and he's talked to me about and from other people, like, it's not all awesome. Like, even if you're at that level, they're saying, Hey, you didn't do this. Well, you didn't do this. Well, you messed up this. You didn't do this. You didn't do this. Um, you know, I, I go back and I check the stuff that I do and there's, you know, there are times where uh, if you get to a certain point, like it, if you mess up a sponsorship read or, or you say something the wrong way, you're going to hear about it. Mm-hmm. And there's just like, there's so many like little things that, that really matter and, and make a difference. So, so yeah, I, I'm uh, the people that I help know that my style is to be very honest because that's going to give them the best chance to making it to where they want to go. And it's, you know, it's, you know, basically like if this is what I think and this is what I think you can do better and hopefully it will help you. But me just telling you you're great is not doing anything to help you. In fact, it might set you back and it means you may not work as hard as you, you were before. So uh, I do it quite a lot and I like to help out people. But I, I tell people, like, if I'm going to help you, like, I'm going to be really honest with you. Um, I'm really honest with myself and I'm, I'm a very harsh critic of how I do my stuff. Um, so I, I want to give you the same kind of info that I'm looking for and that's picking apart the same kind of stuff I'm looking at. But to do that, I'm going to need to tell you the truth. And for people that want to hear it, I, I think it, it's helped. And then there are some people that maybe don't really want to hear it. And, you know, that's, those are the, the kind of people that they want your help, but they really don't want your help. Um, those are the types of people that maybe they'll make it. But if they don't, then 
sometimes that's that's on them. But being honest with people is the way to go. Before jumping into, you know, uh, focusing on your obviously uh, call up with the Orioles, one thing me and Mac noticed uh, while preparing for today's podcast was on your website. Uh, one of the things in uh, one of the things that it says on it is that you pride yourself on being a storyteller and looking mm-hmm. beyond the box score and creating fun and memorable content uh, for your audience. Mm-hmm. So we kind of wanted to ask, what do you think, you know, the key is to, you know, looking beyond the box score, literally, as you say, and, you know, mm-hmm. being able to make it not just you're broadcasting the game, but making it, you know, almost like something that um, something that the listeners and, and viewers will be able to enjoy listening to while getting, you know, the great play by play of the game at the same time. Right. So I'll give you an example. When um, one of the things that I really like doing is I love talking baseball with Ben McDonald, who's uh, our tremendous uh, analyst on Masson and the Orioles radio network. I get to do about 10 games or so with Ben. And I always enjoyed popping in before the game. And, and we would talk some of the game about like, Hey, I noticed this. Hey, I noticed this. Hey, can, can we go for this? And this year across baseball access wasn't the same, you know, RPR staff did a great job getting us as much information and help as they possibly could, but it's not the same kind of year. You know, we didn't have clubhouse access and, and no team did. Um, it was, everything was over zoom and we did the absolute best that we could. Um, but sometimes it helps when you have a really good analyst that you can talk to about how to, you know, stuff that you're seeing and, you know, backing up things that you might be saying on air and you know, sometimes having those kinds of conversations beforehand. So if you see it, you're, you're sort of ready to roll. So one of the things that Ben and I were talking about was, you know, in baseball these days, a lot of pitchers are throwing the four seam fastball because it's got the carry to it. And so they pitch up in the zone with their fastball. And, uh, and, it, and we're just talking about like, how do you hit something like what Garrett Cole is throwing? Or, or how do you how do you hit one of those four seam fastballs? And he told me this great Alex Bregman story. Because Bregman went to LSU. Ben is one of the best college baseball players in history. You know, he was a phenomenal pitcher at LSU. And we had this conversation about how it's actually better to swing above the ball and realize it's going to get to your bat, and then you're going to barrel it up as opposed to swinging, you know, on plane with it or below it. You need to get a little bit above it. Found that really interesting. Well. Sure enough, a couple weeks later, we're doing a game on Masson. Garrett Cole is on the mound. Jose Iglesias was the guy that handled the bat for us probably the best. And he comes up to the plate. He's got two strikes against him. Ben's talking about the, the spin rate, you know, and all the different stuff with Garrett Cole and the, the action that he gets on his fastball. And I said to him, I was like, you know, I was like, you know, don't you have to swing a little bit above the baseball? And he's like, it's funny that you pointed that out. And then he went into the whole Bregman story about how Bregman told him how he hits a fastball that is a high spin rate fastball, like one that Garrett Cole is going to throw that so many people can't hit. So when I talk about going beyond the box score and explaining how stuff happens and working with your analyst and building rapport and making it a memorable experience and creating great content, that's an example of what I'm talking about. And it's, it's asking those kinds of questions and it's like, well, Rio Ruiz says, you know, hit the ball really well over the last couple of days. He's hit the ball really well against lefties. Let's ask him, Brandon Hyde, why is he better against left-handed hitters and right-handed hitters? And then he'll give the answer and then he'll go up to the plate and then he'll square one up and he'll send it the other way. And then he can go exactly into that answer. That's great content. That's the kind of stuff that people tune in for. It's one thing to say, well, he's four for his last five against lefties. He's X, Y, and Z. But 
it's, it's, it really matters when you can add those stories and different elements to it and relate it to what you're seeing in real time. Those are the best kinds of broadcasts. And when I, when I mention that, that's, that's what I'm talking about. So one thing I guess I quickly want to ask before we get into the Orioles things, as um, you said, but it's really, do you think, oh, sorry, sorry, but um, the importance of reacting to what you're seeing on the field and putting that out for the broadcast, uh, excuse me, for the viewers and audience, do you think that may be even more important than the preparing and scheduling and everything you do before the game? Oh, that's a phenomenal question. Yeah, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you this right now. When I do a broadcast, I kind of like to feel empty. And what I mean by that is I want to be able to absorb the game. So when I, when I get up every day, like um, I have prep, I use Google Docs. That's how I prepare for a, for a broadcast. So I have tabs on every single player. I, you know, read the game notes. I get all the stories. I have a research person who helps me with opposing team preparation. I get different pitcher page notes. I have a bunch of different resources at my disposal. In the major leagues, you have a lot of material that you can use to help you out. But once we start the broadcast, it becomes what is the game doing for us? And that's going to dictate where we go and what we do. You might have a great story that you want to tell on somebody in the third or fourth inning, but if you're in a high leverage situation, which with runners, it's second and third base and the middle of the order up and your pitcher's trying to battle to get out of it. That's not the time for that. That's not, you're going to have to stick that in your back pocket. Maybe you get to it later. Maybe you get to it tomorrow. But the number one thing that a play-by-play person has to do is to watch the game and understand what it's giving to them. Absorb the game. That's a really important thing to do everywhere. Um, I think it's why the, you know, the, the, the best broadcasts in baseball, the ones that do that, that pay attention first to the game and don't get bogged down in a bunch of the other stuff. There's a time and place for everything in, in, in live event broadcasts. But you're going to come in with material some days, and I'm just not going to use it. And, I'm, and that's fine. You have, you have a lot of games. You can use it another different time. You can save it for tomorrow. But the best broadcasters are the ones who watch the game, absorb the game, and then take the material that they have and apply it based off of what they're seeing. And if you're doing on television, you're listening to your analysts and where they're going, what they're doing, and taking your preparation and applying that to what they're doing and finding ways to help them out. You know, radio and television are two completely different mediums. On, on radio, the, the play-by-play guy is the guy in the driver's seat. And you're, you're, you're dictating where the game is going and you're, you're telling everyone what's happening because nobody can see it. So it's your responsibility to do the mechanics of the broadcast. So it's you know, two balls, two strikes, two outs, overshift on, outfield playing the other way, outfield is in. Base is loaded. Where's the pitcher pitching from? Is he thrown from this stretch position? Is he thrown from the windup? Because if he's thrown from the windup and he got a fast runner at third base, that guy might take off if the guy's going to pitch from the windup. So it's knowing all those kinds of things. On television, it's the analyst medium. Your job is to get the most out of the analyst that you're working with and to put them in as many good spots as possible to let them do what they do. You're punctuating moments, you're captioning moments, and you're, you're really making sure you're feeding them because that's the analyst media. And there's, there's, there's two very different things and your roles when you go between the two are very different, but 
you you have a very good point. And then what you mentioned is true when you're doing both radio and television. It always starts with the game and what the game is giving you, because those are what produce the best moments. That's, I mean, yeah, that's some great advice. You know, I think Max' question comes from, uh, we've talked in the past to uh, Justin Kutcher, who does The Wizard, mm-hmm. uh, and he said he had a story uh, when he was a statistician for Joe Buck that Joe Buck told him the same exact thing, that the best thing you can do is you can have all these stats, but to just react to the game, that's the best thing you can do. So yeah. um, That's it. That's it. it. It's really like that is the essence of what is the, what is the job title? It's play-by-play. Play-by-play means yeah. the action taking place in front of you there always will be time for stories there are going to be games where it's going to be 11 to nothing and then you need to just entertain people and make it fun but there are also times where you might do a game that's kind of lopsided and you might go into a story and i heard this in one inning that i did this year and i think it was an inning where i could have handled a little bit better frankly and you go back and listen and you're just like we needed to get off of this faster and get back to what was going on in the field and you, you that's the other thing is sometimes the game is taking you one direction and then you got to you got to adjust and you got to pivot and other times it's taking you in another direction. So you just got to follow the, the flow of the game and, and where it's going. And you got to, you got to meet the energy of the ballpark and the, the flow of the broadcast to, to make sure that it's fun for the people watching or listening. For sure. For sure. Going back, obviously, you know, we've said, uh, we said we want to get to your, uh, your career with the Orioles, obviously. So you worked with the Frederick keys for a while, uh, but finally uh, you got the call up to be, uh, the radio announcer for the Baltimore Orioles. What was this experience like? And, you know, what was your kind of initial reaction when you got uh, got the word that you were going to be the, the radio play-by-play guy for the Baltimore Orioles? So I heard from them in November of last year. So right around this time last year. And they told me that, hey, we're, we're looking at some different things. And I just wanted to basically say, hey, send us some work. And so I sent them a whole bunch of different things. I heard from them right after the year and they told me what they wanted to do. And we had a meeting and then we, we kind of went from there and figured everything out. And then um, things went down the way that they did. And it was extremely exciting. It's, it's, it's really gratifying. And, and to go back to what I was saying earlier, when you see the amount of work that you put in and the ups and the downs and the rejections, and, and you're going to get rejected a lot. That's just part of it. It's everybody. It's, it's like, just because you see, uh, you know, Doc Emmerich will tell, and who had an incredible career until he just recently retired. I mean, he he would he was telling stories about how when he was sending out tapes, he couldn't get a job anywhere. This is Doc Emmerich. He's he's one of the best to ever do it in play by play across sports, and those kinds of stories exist all over the place. I was talking to talking to Brian Anderson earlier today, and he was he spent basically the same amount he spent a little bit longer in the minor leagues than I did, but it's this, it's the same kind of story. Like he was doing all these different odd jobs and things. And I was doing all these other events. We realized we had to take care of ourselves and we needed reps and we needed to get better. And everybody has the moments where they're just like, I think I'm going to quit. I don't think I'm going to make it or whatever that when you get that opportunity, it makes you feel so good. And, and so that that's, you know, I, I think it's a, a sense of satisfaction, but also a realization too, that, all right, you got there. Now it's now what are you going to do with it? And so that's why I'd say I work probably harder now than I did then, because, you know, the hope is to, to stay around for a, a long time and and to, to hopefully um, continue to live on and uh, keep going. The, the rich tradition of Orioles broadcasters, because uh, if you take a look at the list of those who have called Orioles games, it is really, really impressive. 
Yep, you got to keep up with that. And I, we know you well. You've you've been great. But you spoke on how excited you were when you were able to get that job. So mm-hmm. my question would be, how did this not just change your career, but how did it change your life? Well, I think number one, you know, when you get to the major leagues, obviously it's there. There's certain things financially that, that change a little bit for you, and it's 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 really cool. Um, and there's obviously a lot more opportunities and um, that there's, that there's so many different things about it. Like you, you have a lot more people watching and a lot more people listening and a lot more, um, opportunities that, that present themselves and people reaching out that you don't even know. And, um, you know, offers to do podcasts and things like that, which I've really enjoyed getting to do and, and spend time with a lot of different folks. And, um, people call you and they ask your opinion about, Hey, what's going on with this, with the Orioles? Hey, what's going on here? What, you know, what's happening here. You have way more information. Um, you have way more access. Usually, uh, this year we said, as I said, it was a weird year for everybody and across every sport. Um, but that's the, that's the really cool part about, about being there. You know, the, 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 the travel from what I've heard, I have not gotten to really experience it yet just because of the way that this season went down, but the, the travel and the flights and the hotels and, and all the different um, parts to it there are, are a lot different. And uh, you're focused on really one job and that is preparing to broadcast your games. You're not, not worrying about doing the game notes or doing the stat packs or picking somebody up from the airport or coming up with a marketing plan or planning this promotion. You're, you're not thinking about that kind of stuff anymore. Your job is to, uh, get yourself ready for the game and, and come time for the pregame show or come time for your show open, you are ready to roll and you are ready to do a great job because that is what you got hired to do. And so um, there are a lot of things that are, are really different, but the, the number one thing is probably just, it's your job. You have one job and that is to call Orioles baseball. And it's really cool. That's great. Obviously this year uh, was like none other uh, probably, you know, one of the most interesting years to have your first year broadcasting for a big league club uh, with the mm-hmm. pandemic. What was it like broadcasting Orioles games this year without fans in the stands? Uh, and how was your daily life and routine in general as a broadcaster affected? You obviously talked about no club access, no being able to go in there. But what else was really affected by uh, by the pandemic and, and the situation this year? Well, number one, there were very... Uh, stringent protocols and I'm glad that there were because they kept us safe our our senior executive team our training staff was phenomenal they were the they were the real MVPs of this year and then on the broadcast side our our MVPs were our our great mass and crew and uh, our you know tremendous group over there and then our uh, our producer engineer on the radio side Kevin Reed Um, you know I'm really fortunate that um, Kevin Reed who I work with every day on the radio is a veteran major league producer who's worked with a lot of really good talent and is very good at what he does. And the way he made our broadcast sound was really impressive because uh, it wasn't always easy. And, and I would walk in some days and you, know, you, you work with different crews and you're, when you're remote and sometimes you have everything you want and sometimes you, it, you need to try and figure some things out to make sure the broadcast is sounding the way that you want it to sound. And then I'm also fortunate that our producer on television, uh, Dawn Diagostino, is one of the best producers in baseball. She's phenomenal, absolutely phenomenal. And those are the kinds of people that really helped us out and really uh, made our lives better on, on, the, on the everyday broadcast side. 
but uh, the, the training staff, our senior executive team that, that had strict rules in place and regulations that we followed. And, and so for that reason, we were all safe. And so were the Orioles players. And that, that's really, that's really cool that it was able to stay that way. And in a year like this, where just because you follow all the rules doesn't mean necessarily that you're, you're not going to get uh, infected. So um, the, the, the day to day was pretty much to stay in my apartment and getting ready for the broadcast. And I would usually order lunch from someplace and they would deliver it and I'd take it upstairs and I'd finish my work and I'd go to the ballpark usually as late as I could uh, to, to, to prepare. And, and then we'd get there and there was these testing protocols and screenings and all these different things. And we'd fill up this daily report and, and all those processes allowed us to, to do our job uh, safely and successfully. <laughs> Excuse me. <laughs> so uh, my next question would kind of relate still with the COVID, but of course you have, you dealt with no fans and really not having fans in crowd noise. I'm not sure what that was like for you guys. If you guys had artificial crowd noise in your ears or anything like that, but mm-hmm. did it make the broadcast harder, not having the fans, not having that energy that you would typically have in previous years. Yeah, it, it, it's tougher when you don't have fans because there's a certain energy that, that, that you're going to miss. But 60 games provides a, a sense of urgency for everyone mm-hmm. and the realization that every game really, really matters. And so what I would do is um, our, our producer engineer would turn up you know, the volume on the crowd noise a little bit in my headset, and then he turned my, my microphone volume down a little bit. So it would really force me to, to make sure that my energy was in the right spot and that I could get my voice to the right spot where I wanted it to be. And so I, I think we all adjust. I, I was, as I listened to other broadcasts across baseball, the one thing that I picked up on was that people's energy was, was generally really, really good and pretty close to, to how it, how it is. But you, you miss a lot without having the fans there. They, they provide a certain, um, you know, ambiance and feeling and just so there's so many things that you miss about not having fans there. And it's, it, it was a little strange at first, but um, I, I think for this year, as, as we got more accustomed to it and doing games off monitors, which was another challenge and, and adjusting and figuring out different tricks and trying out some things, some which worked, some which didn't work. Um, you know, we, we did the best we could and, and we got the, the best result that we, we possibly could given what 2020 was. I want to talk now more about the Orioles themselves, the team itself, their, their play, if that's all right with you. Mm-hmm. Um, in your opinion, this season for the Orioles, I believe they were 25 and 35. Would you consider this season a success for them, kind of somewhere in the middle or maybe coming short of where their goals probably were for the season? I think it was a success for sure. There were some that, that didn't predict the Orioles to win a whole lot of games. I think a lot of folks were saying maybe around 20 or 21, and they finished with yeah. 25. And for two-thirds of the year, you were right in the playoff hunt. You were right there. And they were in it until the last five games, I believe, of the season. And that's a, a tremendous step forward. And even in the – you know, you struggled at the end, but even as you did, there were some really good stories in there especially with your young pitchers with Keegan Aiken and Dean Kramer and Bruce Zimmerman had one really good relief outing against the Red Sox at Fenway Park to close out the year. 
those are the kinds of things that you can build off of because you figure that those three are going to be competing for rotation spots next year. So all in all, I figure, I think it was a, it was a big success. I thought Brandon Hyde did a tremendous job in what was an incredibly difficult year. Being a major league manager is hard enough to begin with, but to try and navigate all that, uh, I thought the job that he and his coaching staff did was, was first rate. Um, the Orioles had some acquisitions that they made um, before the season got started with the draft that were really good. I thought the draft was very strong and the Orioles are certainly building for the future right now, but finding ways of the trade deadline to upgrade their minor league system and to pick up pieces that will be able to contribute to the team's future and give it a self-sustaining feeling and, you know, group of players that will allow them to not only be competing for a, a, you know, a short period of time, but it will continue to allow them to be good. Um, those were all the types of things that, that made it a win. So even though it's 25 and 35, I, I still think it was a, a winning year and it was a winning year in a lot of other ways, not just with what happened with the Orioles. So as you said, they were in the playoff hunt really until the very end of that season. So what do you think in your opinion that they could do this off season or going forward that not just being in the hunt, but maybe even being a contender really, really soon, what should they do if they want to get there? Well, they're still in the process of rebuilding and we're, we're not really sure what's going to happen when fans return yeah. um, playing a game at Yankee stadium with no fans is certainly a lot different than when you're, you're playing one out there and, and there are all those fans screaming and yelling and, and things like that. There's nothing to really prepare uh, the Orioles or any younger baseball team for that matter for, for that kind of thing. So I feel like that's going to be an adjustment for everyone uh, going into 2021 when we certainly are hopeful that they're going to have fans uh, back and that it's going to be as close to normal as possible. Um, but I, I feel like, you know, maybe there will be some, some smaller kinds of additions. You know, they, they added Yomar Sanchez uh, as a second baseman. He was a, a phenomenal a second baseman two years ago. And he had injuries this past year, but between him and Jose Iglesias, hopefully being back fully healthy, that's going to be a great up the middle a combination, which you really need if you got a young pitching staff, which the Orioles do. Um, you have so much excitement in the outfield. Trey Mancini coming back is the is obviously the the best thing that you're going to be having back next year. Uh, it sounded like based on what he was talking about in a in a Zoom the other day that he will be ready to go come spring training and that he feels like he could be ready to go right now. Uh, so just having him back and the leadership qualities that he provides is going to be a huge ad. That's going to be your number one thing that you're getting back for 2021. But I'm not really sure, maybe some smaller moves for the Orioles, but they're still in the middle of the rebuild process and you don't want to do anything kind of halfway or be too hasty or jump the gun on anything because that could further set you back. Um, I, I like the way Mike Elias and his group has handled this entire process, realizing what it is, being honest about where the team is in the process and figuring out ways to, you know, not only prepare for your next major league season, but to set up your minor leaguers and players that are can cont contribute in a major way and to continue to do great work internationally and figuring out ways to improve your international pipeline too. And then just all the other different peripherals and things like that to put themselves in a position to be a contender for a very long time. It's not a simple process and it doesn't just take a, a year or two. It's a, it's a lengthy process, but the Orioles in a really good spot, even as a 2020 was such a hard year with no minor league season. Obviously they have the, uh, the number two prospect right now, Adley Rutschman, as well as a ton of other superstar young prospects. Obviously you being a broadcaster uh, in the Orioles minor league system for a long time, 
Is there any, you know, prospects who might be, you know, maybe not in the top five of theirs that you really think that you were really impressed by uh, with your time down there in the minor leagues broadcasting? A lot of good ones. Mike Bauman is somebody that everyone needs to be on the lookout for. He had a terrific 2019 season. Uh, he really came into his own when he was pitching for the Bowie Bay Sox at double A. So keep an eye out for him. I, I, I think that, you know, it sounds like health wise, he's doing okay. Um, so he could be really intriguing. Um, and then some of the, the younger guys that they got, especially who they picked up in the, in the trade for, um, for Michael Gibbons, I, I think should be, should be really cool. Taryn Bobber sounds like he's an interesting guy that they picked up who was the MVP of the South Atlantic league. And then, um, you know, Tyler Nevin should be really cool. I think he would probably be starting a triple a based on the sounds of it. Uh, they got Kevin Smith from the Mets who seems like he's, he's a little bit closer. Um, a lot of people have talked about uh, Kyle Bradish and Isaac Matson. you know, two people that the Orioles picked up in the Dylan Bundy trade. Uh, those will be two great pitchers to, to keep your eye on that, that, that could be good. We saw a little bit of Matson at spring training last year. He got put in a really challenging spot and handled it really well. And then Bradish, it sounds like, has great stuff and a delivery that's kind of unique. So that might be a, another way to get hitters out. And um, th those were probably some that that maybe aren't the, you know, the Adley Rutschman, Grayson Rodriguez, D.L. Hall uh, type players, or Keston Kerstad, who is the Orioles' first round pick this year. But um, those are a bunch of players that you need to keep your eye out on. And, and the Orioles system in general is one that you need to be paying attention to. They're now at number eight, according to MLB Pipeline, uh, when just two years ago, they weren't even ranked at all. They weren't, they weren't viewed as uh, a, a rich system a couple of years ago. But a lot has changed uh, since Mike Elias has come on board. So you continue to talk about the minors. We keep kind of bringing that up. And aside from just the pure talent perspective or aspect of this, do you think maybe the lack of knowledge that maybe some other teams have when they are facing the Orioles, when some of these players start getting called up, will have a true impact on this team to maybe get a couple of extra wins in a season? It doesn't hurt, but remember in the major leagues, you have access to everything. Mm -hmm. when, when you are a new player and you come up, they know everything about you. And that has only become more and more um, you know, there's only more and more information that is become available when uh, these players reach the major leagues. And after they get some reps under their belt, if you're a pitcher, you make a couple of starts and suddenly they know exactly what it is that you're doing. And this year really was, was tough. And I thought it was kind of cool the way that Dean Kramer handled himself against the Yankees. First two starts in the major leagues against the Yankees, six innings of one run baseball, five innings of one run baseball. He faced some really tough lineups and handled himself pretty darn well. So, I think the element of surprise can help for a little while, but it's not going to consistently uh, sustain you. Um, you. You need to have the ability to make adjustments and to improve. And that's why there's, there's so much time and effort and tech and training put into the work going on in the minor leagues. So somebody like Ryan Mountcast, a lot of people were calling for him to come up even sooner than he did when he got called up this year. But they really wanted to make sure that he was in a good spot as a left fielder. And wanted to make sure that his discipline at the plate was a little bit better. And I mean, the results kind of, kind of speak for themselves. So there's a very specific way that the Orioles are going about developing their prospects. And they want to make sure that the, the, the best that they have are fully ready to go before they get their opportunity to come up to the, the major leagues, because once you get to the major leagues, it's not easy, especially when you're playing in the AL East. 
For sure. Definitely a ton of talented teams. They're obviously defending AL champs now. The Tampa Bay Rays are in there, but the Orioles are definitely a team to look out for. And I think in the next two years, they'll be right in that playoff one for sure. They certainly so, will. They certainly will. They and they've, they've got a lot of, they've got a lot of guys that, um, that are going to be good for them for, for a really long period of time. And as they start arriving, we saw some this year, especially with a, a Ryan Mountcastle and, Hopefully Anthony Santander just picks up where he left off last year, which was really cool. Ali Rushman's not too far away. A lot of young pitching talent is, is on the rise. Some of those reach the major leagues this year and perform really, really well. There's a lot to be excited about with this team and uh, look forward to some more arrivals in, in 2021. Going back to the broadcasting, kind of to, to finish this off, if you had to give, I know it's kind of a, a tough question, so – uh, I understand if you don't have an exact answer, but to any young broadcasters watching or people who are looking uh, to gain, you know, a little, as Mac has once said, I think a foot in the door uh, in the industry, <laughs> what would your, uh, what would your best advice be to them? What was your, what's your one key piece of advice for them? Get on the air as much as you possibly can and do as many things as you can possibly do. When I was in college, I told you guys that I did a whole lot of things. I might, I do play-by-play, I might do color, I might do studio, I might do a talk show. When I got into the industry, I would do football and I would do basketball and sometimes I would do other sports, I would do television, I would do radio. I did news at one point doing a morning edition for an NPR station in Winston-Salem when I was working for IMG College, which was a a great place to work. I I didn't do a whole lot of play-by-play for them but I worked with elite play-by-play guys doing studio shows for some of the, some of the really big college broadcasts across the country. And I learned a lot from those and I would take some of the things that I learned and then would apply them. And then when I would do news, it taught me, for instance, rhythm and pace and timing because you would do a newscast. And if you were, if you had three or five minutes to do a newscast or however long it was, it was once you hit three minutes, that's it. You're done. You, you can't go over. You know, you can maybe go a little under, but you cannot go over. So it's learning how to improvise and time things out. And, and that those are the kinds of things that serve me well now when I'm in the major leagues and help me, you know, get to where I did. But never say no. Take as many opportunities to do as many things as you can. Enjoy it. Have fun doing it. Realize it's never going to be perfect, no matter how good you get at this and how long you do it. We're all striving for the perfect broadcast and none of us have gotten it yet. But the, the, the fact that we keep trying to do it is what keeps us coming back every day, but have fun doing it because it's a great career. It's a lot of fun. It takes a lot of work and it takes a lot of perseverance, but if I can figure it out, then I, I think that, you know, and you, you're willing to do the work then I, I feel like that, you know, anybody can, can do it if they, if they're willing to put in the time, but that's, that's really what separates the people that find a way from those who don't is they're willing to put in the work. They're willing to put in the time and they don't get too impatient. So be patient, do your work, control what you can control. And that's your preparation, your attitude, and the way that you conduct yourself when working with other kinds of people. Those are the kinds of things you can control. You can control your honor performance as much as you can, but um, there's some things that you just are out of your control and you got to realize that, but have fun doing it because it's a great career and um, you know, life is short. So you might as well do something that you really want to do. Yep. That's great advice. And we really appreciate you uh, coming on and talking with us today. 
Mac and Griffin, it was great. You guys uh, did a very good job with this interview. Asked a lot of really good questions, Thank and uh, best of luck to you. Thank you. So to wrap things up here, we – Thank you all for coming in and watching this week's episode of Outside the Arena. My Instagram is Mac Rommel. Griffin's Instagram is Griffin Senek. And Jeff, is there anything you want to promote? Uh, no, I, I mean, I would just say, um, you know, everybody who is watching this, keep listening and watching these guys as much as you can because they're going to do Thank great you. stuff. We really appreciate, you. appreciate that. Everyone, we'll see you next week on Outside the Arena.